because I can't go into people's homes and tell them what to do or tell them how to treat each other. I was like, I think we just have to, we have to intercept in the places where everybody is existing together with all of their different backgrounds and figure out how we're going to make that okay. Hello, this is Sugar Honey Bubble Tea, a podcast aimed to amplify Asian women voices through critical thinking and meaningful conversations. I'm Toby, and today it's just me. So before we start today's episode, please go follow us on Instagram at SugarHoneyBBT. It's at S-U-G-A-H-O-N-E-Y-B-B-T. We post a lot of podcast episode-related segments, and make sure you go follow us there. And you can also leave us a five-star review if you feel so desired on Apple and Spotify. And yeah, it's just me today, um, and we have another guest with me, but before I introduce our guest, if you guys have not listened to the previous episode, I think it was 67 and 68 with Ange and our guest Ryan, I highly recommend that episode. And yeah, now let me introduce our guests for today, Aisha. So I actually found out about Aisha through one of my friends I work with, and I really admire the work that you've been doing with the iDream Library and everything. So you can speak a little bit more about it later on. But as kind of like a POC in the creative industry, too. So I feel like this is like the perfect opportunity to have you on as a guest for our podcast. So thank you. Yeah, please um, tell our listeners who you are, what you do, etc. cetera. Thanks for having me, Toby. Yeah. I'm really happy to be here and meet you all. Um, My name is Aisha Kiani, and I'm the founder and executive director of iDream Library. And we are an education organization that's rooted in arts and new ways of imagining education that's diverse and Mm -hmm. inclusive. Um, for the future of how we're all going to live, love, and learn together. So, you know, 50 years and onwards. um, And that's what we think about and create uh, with our work. Yeah, that's really great. Something that I really wanted to touch on is kind of like growing up, I've always feel like I'm kind of like split and like I can't really resonate with either one because I'm like Taiwanese. Um, Canadian, so mm-hmm. in Taiwan, I kind of feel like I'm not really fully Taiwanese, and then here I feel like I can't really fit in or like whitewash enough to fit in. So, mm-hmm. how do you kind of navigate your identity as like a POC and then being creative? Um, I love that question, and it's such a common experience the one that you have, Toby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, in that. You know, it's totally normal for the past, like it's normal for families to migrate and travel and be displaced and need to travel and seek out new opportunities and better spaces to grow their families. And there can be resentment or isolation when you go back home. And that's like really tough to deal with because when you come to the new place, Um, specifically in Canada, people or the culture here experiences you as where you're from. Yeah. And so that is sort of the block in terms of 
creating a relationship that's new. So yeah, what you're saying is true for me and so many other people as well Mm -hmm. um, of Asian descent. My background is South Asian and I'm mixed and I was born in Europe and my dad is Pakistani and my mom is Norwegian and French and I'm Mm. from Norway and we immigrated here when I was young. And so how do I navigate being a person of color and a creative is that my identity in being a person of color never leaves the process of creation. Like it's never something that I can not consider while I'm creating, but more in how it's received. I think the audience for my work is always recognizing that about me. Mm -hmm. And because that's how I'm seen here as a person of color, it's just, I, there's no way to remove it. So what it is, is understanding how to feel valuable and peaceful and, Mm -hmm. um, joyful about that experience. While at the same time, we're in a culture where we're still, having to address like systemic marginalization because of that way that people see us. So um, it's conflicting in terms of, I think, feeling like a full human being because you have to literally talk about your humanity a lot more than white people do because humanity is centered and like synonymous with whiteness, right? That's what we're challenging in the work that we do and just walking down the street and like being people of color in Canada. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's like very resonating, especially it's like not, it kind of shows through everything that you do. Like Mm -hmm. it's not to say that all of like the valuable experiences are solely based on your race or ethnicity, but it is definitely like a huge part of like how you come across. Do you think that, experiences like that has that changed for you over the years like as you get older like compared to you were younger or Mm, it just changes in terms of the layers of it and Mm -hmm. my awareness of what's happening yeah so you know as I understand and get older my awareness of myself and people around me and how things work change and then I also grow Mm -hmm. into there's you know there's sexism and racism (laughs) and queer phobia and um a lot of different things that are reflections of my identity being in conflict with the cultural norm here yeah um marginalization around being a single parent. Um, my child is also black. So then there's, there's multiple layers Mm -hmm. of it. It just becomes more to the point where it is actually such a beautiful relief for me to center my work and everything I do every day around a way to transmute that. Yeah like all of that energy and do something creative with it. If Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to put that energy somewhere or make art with it or design education or have conversations about it if I wasn't allowed to because my work was something different I think I would I would you know be a lot more troubled but the art and I Dream Library is a healing space 
for me. Yeah, that's too. yeah, that's very beautifully put. Like I, I wanted to talk about iDream Library because I find that like such a beautiful project. Um, I know when we had like previously met up, we were like talking about being creative and like being a designer, and then mm-hmm. you being like a designer of education, which mm-hmm. is like a really cool way of putting it because I've like me being like a designer of apparel I've always kind of feel like oh like it's kind of frivolous like now realizing that my purpose like making things and designing things I feel like it's like an untapped in like potential for me like I can actually do a lot of things with designing Mm -hmm. so yeah do you want to talk about iDream library and yeah what it is well I also just want to say that like from Mm -hmm. the iDream library perspective like designing clothes is such like (laughs) a deeply also political and like revolutionary thing that can happen it's Mm -hmm. like who like how are we designing the clothes and whose bodies are they on yeah um we did a well we did like our first little installation which Rakim and I worked on together which was in this like window gallery called the 4x4 in um, Vancouver which is before we were in the Vancouver Art Gallery right Um, but it was a smaller conversation on a larger one that I've had and a lesson that I wrote in 2019 called Closer for People Right. And talking about degendering fashion, which is really important. It's a really important work in terms of like humanizing queer people, trans people, like challenging how the binary has been set with a dress code. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say that like there's so much revolutionary things that can happen yeah. with clothing. And fashion is really fun for me and it's fun for Rakim. And we, engage in it we love fashion yeah and um you know all of it is a language and all of it is a way to teach other people how to approach us and respect us and who we are um yeah my history is like also like in like heavily aligning with punk when I was younger and Mm -hmm. that says something about your belief systems as well yeah um so if you can just remind me of the original question, I just yes, want to affirm you. I just wanted to say that like, it's so important what you do too and like how you use yeah, it. Oh, it designing. Is, yes, designing and kind of like talk about iDream Library. But I do agree with like the whole clothing yeah. segment. I think it's to always kind of realizing that. Because I think as like years go on, of course, and then I work, also work in like corporate. Yeah. Sometimes it gets lost. Like yeah. that the impact of like yeah it just gets kind of like washed away so I have to like constantly reminding myself that it is like like I can't change the system by myself but we are also the system like yeah yeah like the models you use like who's your fit models like all of these different places along the way you can do it um so yeah designing education is fun so I do write curriculum, like mm-hmm. provincial curriculum, and we do lesson plans, and we work with educators a lot to share this within public education specifically, but yeah. we also work with private schools and IB schools. Um, but most people are attending public education. Mm-hmm. And so I have 
figured out ways to coalition build with educators, with parents, with publishers and mm-hmm. booksellers and nonprofits and different community organizations yeah. to all take a vested interest in what kind of specifically stories and tools are used, especially in the early literacy process. Yeah. Um, in terms of how we test early literacy and how we understand comprehension and how our comprehension testing in early literacy especially is often where assimilation and cultural assimilation happen. Um, You know, an example of that is that when we're doing early literacy testing, those tests are designed for like English as like a primary language and Mm -hmm. that's assumed Mm -hmm. and that hasn't changed. So what we've done is we've, called people English language learners and one and and we have not designed tests to be able to understand the complexity and the the amazing capacity when a seven-year-old comes in and speaks three languages yeah right we will challenge their their intellectual ability or capacity and end up like harming them emotionally Mm. and psychologically because we often decide that if they don't speak English in a way that like fully makes us comfortable or the, the teachers or the institution comfortable, then they're not quite good enough. And really just saying that their other skill set and their other cultures like don't measure up. And so those are things we have to change and challenge about testing. So we offer different ways to approach um, testing and being more inclusive. And inclusive in education here in Canada specifically means neurodiversity and people with disabilities. Um, Inclusive in North America is larger than that. Um, But here we use that word in education to talk about how to center Hopefully, that's how we use it to center the experiences of approaching learning from various ways and places. Mm-hmm. Um, and also retaining that the child retains their full humanity while they're going through the process of education. They shouldn't yeah. be dehumanized at any point along the way. So, I Dream Library does that in education, and also we train educators on a model that we design called the radar. Mm -hmm. And um, so we work in pre-service, which are teachers training to be able to come into the system. And then in-service, which is when they're already in the system to continue that accountability to teaching equitably Mm -hmm. and um, supporting their students and also being fair and anti-racist in their approach to teaching. Yeah. Then... Another thing that we do is we work in public spaces and art spaces to share, well, design and build basically a small capsule of what it would look like if Mm -hmm. we had an equitable learning space. Yeah. And that way all the public can have access to what iDream Library is wherever we set that up. Mm -hmm. So we want the model of iDream Library to grow and also for everybody to take what they can from it, integrate it into Mm -hmm. their community or education practice or school system. Um, And we support people in how to do that through coalition building models and training. 
but you know we're not going to do this alone so I think the public installations are great because so many people can talk about yeah how can I do this and what what can I add to it or what pieces can I take yeah mm. I think that's like such a good resource especially for like kids growing up I think school is such like education is such a big part that kind of like mm-hmm. shaped them into who they are and if you don't have if you don't give them like the right space or resources to grow it's so easy to feel like mm-hmm. like I'm like being put in a box and I don't really know how to like grow or how to fully be myself yeah that you don't matter and also yeah. that we are okay in Canada saying well you have like children have to figure out how to survive in our underfunded mm-hmm. over exhausted classrooms <laughs> yeah. rather than oh my gosh like we're not actually supporting this yeah. child or this group of children that's where you feel you're being pumped through a system that's where people feel that the education is outdated and irrelevant mm-hmm. because you don't feel welcomed in your learning space yeah and you know when that's happening as a kid yeah you know you know when you feel like you're too much for someone yeah. and that's the ongoing thing with people of color here is like feeling like we're too much all the time yes like i <laughs> you know we're careful about how we like put our makeup on because is it really gonna bring like for me am I, I'm like am I gonna look like really like South Asian if I do my liner like this mm-hmm. and what is the impact of me walking out like having bright red lipstick and having a strong bold liner how are people gonna like really wearing what you love about yourself can just feel like too much yes. when you come through an education system that doesn't see your culture or value it or is too tired to address it. Yeah. For real. Yeah. So much of the experience is like me constantly questioning myself. Like, yeah, is this, am I overreacting? Like, is this how everyone is feeling like, or it's, that's so yeah. true. Yeah. And it's really like, I mean, it's, it's like trying to fit into like a, a like a really bad like abusive relationship yeah. like with your country like with your, you know what it is yeah. it's like you're always are like kind what racism feels like is like walking on eggshells that's mm-hmm. what systemic racism is like i'm not yeah. sure if i should i don't know if i should say anything if it's safe for me will i like Mm-hmm. My job be impacted? Will my friendships be impacted? Mm-hmm. Um, will I be labeled as somebody that's problematic if I stand up for myself? Yeah. So, like, where we have that, like, like where we teach the social emotional foundations of relationship building is in public education. Yes. Yeah. So I'm really focused on that space specifically because I can't go into people's homes and tell them what to do or tell them how to treat each other. I was like, I think we just have to, we have to intercept in the places where everybody is existing together with all of their different backgrounds and figure out how we're going to make that okay. Yeah. 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 And I think speaking a little bit about like systemic racism, I like wanted to talk about your role as a mother and how that like how do you kind of talk about that with your child early on and yeah like how do you kind of nurture race and identity for a young human Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I I never 
I never got that from my parents. It's kind of like me going like, okay, this like I never felt like I can, never felt com like I always say that, but I never felt comfortable in my skin suit mm-hmm. <laughs> until maybe like twenty three, like mid mm-hmm. twenties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. I'm still working on it and I'm 38. I'm going to be 39 in a couple of months and I'm still like, ooh, I've really only been like, I don't even like this term being like out of the closet. Mm-hmm. I don't like the term, but I've only been like public about being mm-hmm. queer at like 31. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was so DL before. So, I mean, there's still t- there's still time for you to find new spaces of yourself to get comfortable in your skin. Yes. You know, um, I thought I was comfortable in my skin because I was able to go outside in the sun and let myself get brown. Mm. Like, th- okay? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, for South Asian girls, like, I'm non-binary, but I was raised in this understanding that I was a girl and yeah, we had to be covered up. Like that is part of our, yes. you know, staying out of the sun. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's a similar thing, like all through Asia. Yeah. Around, um, and to be honest, like almost everywhere there are people of color in the world that have experienced colonization, like Western European colonization, we're dealing with colorism. And, we're, yes. and, and so going back to your question, that is one of the things that I talk about when I talk about racism is Mm -hmm. like that it doesn't just come from white people. Um, My child is black. So anti-black racism is a part of a whole bunch of different cultures of color. Yeah. You know, there's layers to how that works because there is a human hierarchy that has been established within Western colonialism. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, there's anti-blackness that exists within my culture towards my own child, right? Mm-hmm. And that is something that I like to speak about as somebody who's South Asian because it I don't know if it gets talked a lot about, but um, it's really important to talk about the ways that everybody can work on being better. Mm-hmm to ourselves and to each other. And and so with my son, I, I speak about racism, that he experiences it. I mean, he's experienced it since he was born and since before he could speak. So it's really like moment by moment, mm-hmm. you know, explaining why someone like reached in and grabbed his hair or why someone... Um, you know, called him the N-word, which the first time that happened, he was like young and on the bus and it was older people, like white people Mm -hmm. that were doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Why somebody said something really rude about his hair and were like laughed at him. Why somebody refused to let him read a story connected to black history in his own school library, which is how I Dream Library started, is because he had a selection of books that were banned by the school librarian. Like, why is that happening to me? Why, you know? So then every time something happens, I just respond to it and we start talking. Mm -hmm. Um, And my child is light-skinned as well. He's like, has the coloring of my mom who's white, so he's lighter than me. but like a 4B hair texture and like visibly 
black, like West African features like his dad. And so we, you'll just see that he has like a lot to think about at the same time Mm -hmm. of himself and how he moves to the world and where his privilege and oppression is happening differently at different times. And then what his power is in every one of those moments. So that's really how we talk about it. We talk about how privilege and oppression happens Mm -hmm. um, for all of us differently in different ways, how it happens for him in different rooms, in different spaces where he is, where oppression is happening, but also where privilege is happening. Um, And that is also in terms of gender identity. He's, um, you know, a cisgendered boy and he, his pronouns are he, him, and he, is connected to that deeply. So mm-hmm. that's fine. That also just means that he has to understand his place as a boy and what yes. that means being in rooms with girls or queer people or trans people or non-binary yeah. people. Um, so there's a lot that we talk about and it's just an ongoing conversation. It never mm-hmm. really stops. And then he's part of answering the questions with the work that we do. So it's not me speaking at him Mm-hmm. It's us like organizing and mm-hmm. investigating and then creating responses to experiences together. Yeah. So then it becomes more of an embodied experiential yeah. relationship to learning about how to move through systemic racism mm-hmm. rather than just like didactic, like just being told and, and being overwhelmed when it's done, (laughs) when the talk is done. And then you shut the door and you don't speak again (laughs) until the next thing happens. You know, you don't want that. So yeah, that's how I approach that. Yeah. It's definitely a constant like conversation and experiences. It's like stages. But it's exhausting to do it all the time. And a lot of people don't. Yeah. If it wasn't my work, would I do it? I don't know. I probably would because I'm me, but It's really tiring to do. Yeah, I feel like it was kind of like in the like in the beginning of pandemic when Mm -hmm. um, we kind of started this podcast. It was kind of like like I think people were surprised they when like so many incidents happen and they're like, oh, the world is racist. And I was kind of like what like (laughs) like it's like people think it was like a utopia and now everything just fell apart and i'm like no it has always been like that like as a poc like i've kind of always been aware but just like suddenly now everyone is aware and it's so hard to like kind of not get stuck in that anger stage and kind of get over that and actually like do something about it Mm -hmm. And, like, also a, part, a big part of it is kind of, like, more towards, the, like, the action and acceptance part. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to constantly feel like I'm just angry and can't do anything <laughs> about, you know. Yeah, I mean, experiencing the oppression of systemic racism mm-hmm. is, like, a serious, like, health issue, mm-hmm. mental health issue. Like, it's a wellness issue. Yeah. Um, when we're having, like we're on the West Coast, there's a huge wellness industry here. And like how much of that is directed towards healing. And it's it's run Mm -hmm. predominantly by white people. Yeah, for sure. Who are 
inspired by and or just thieving <laughs> like Asian <laughs> right mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. of knowing and living yes and not realizing that the space they're taking up mm-hmm. has serious wellness impacts for the people that are the descendants of what they're out here mm-hmm. um like preaching yeah preaching right yeah. preaching and monetizing yeah, so sure. it's like i don't know if this wellness is well doing well for me i don't mm-hmm. know you yeah. know i Yeah, like in terms of, let's say, yoga, like yoga is a thing that you are and do every day, Mm -hmm. you know, around like beyond moving your body in a specific way or drinking a certain set of herbs or, you know, having the perfect stool to meditate on. You need to take that into how like the lens that you how you your worldview. Yes. You know how you see people and engage with people and yourself and your own positionality in the world actually mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah that's what i i think that that is so true it's like i am pretty active and i think that's like very similar to like working out like mm-hmm. how it's like being like capitalism and stuff like that it's like you only like you have you need this gear you need to go to this gym and do this and it, you're considered like you're active but it could just be like anywhere anytime kind of like yoga and it should be accessible for everyone and inclusive of you know yeah yeah well movement like people of mm-hmm. color moving easily through space public space mm-hmm. through land mm-hmm. and environment like that's a revolutionary conversation to have like we're talking about like apartheid that still exists here, which is like reservations. We're talking about Mm -hmm. carding, which exists for both black and indigenous people Mm -hmm. heavily here. Um, We're talking about redlining, Mm -hmm. you know, and when we talk about like, and even use a word or describe people as ghetto or like related to where they came from. We're not having the conversation Mm -hmm. about redlining at the same time. Yeah. We're not having the conversation about how reparations never happened, um, how redistribution, like, is also not happening. Like, we're not going into the history of what, of how we refuse to allow people to live Mm -hmm. here healthily. Yeah. Um, with hope, you know, yeah. with joy and with freedom and the freedom to live and move on land, mm-hmm. especially like stolen land, like people who are here and this is like their land. Yeah. You know, like so um, we do in terms of our community work and community relationship. Uh, skateboarding is the skateboarding communities and skateboarding organizations two organizations that we work with a lot nation skate youth and takeover skateboarding here locally Mm -hmm. uh, have that conversation and we all of us have a 
an micro exhibit in the Museum of Vancouver right now that is based off an event that we created together last year in 2021 called Skate for Change. And it was a three-day event where we invited out community to skate and make art. And it was a BIPOC priority space for Mm -hmm. Black Indigenous people of color. And it spanned from Juneteenth to Indigenous People's Day. And yeah, so... It's having the conversation of safety in public space and whether you're legal or illegal on your own land. Um, And, you know, who has the right to make that decision? What land back is? What does that really mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I Dream Libraries, all of these things. It's just thinking about redefining, like, who we are in the world that we want to create. And once we start doing that, everything becomes involved, like how we move through space, how we learn, how we live together, um, who we decide is good or bad, mm-hmm. and that those are the only two options. Like everything gets challenged with iDream Library. So it's, there's so many opportunities. It's going to be so fun for so long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just like a constant like shape-shifting <laughs> thing and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any like advice on, I guess, like younger people who wanted to like create purpose or impact, like impact social change with their work, especially if they're like a creative person? Yeah. Um, well, I think younger people who are creative, like, It's also, it's hard, I think, for younger people because very vulnerable time to take the kinds of risks that, um, you know, are necessary, to be honest. Mm Because if you're doing something with your work and you're working in corporate, maybe, let's say, or Mm -hmm. you're working for a foundation or you're working... Um, you're, you still need to secure your ability to eat and live and that interrupts for a lot of people, some of the more revolutionary impactful shit we that we could be doing. Um, revolutionary stuff is just thinking about who might not be in the room. Yes. Um, it's thinking about a way to like have accountability as part of your work culture Mm -hmm. Um, is it healthy to I mean it's really like how do you hold your work culture accountable and how do you create space for more voices and where's the benefit for that and I think within corporate you honestly like have to pitch it to Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. you have to make diversity and inclusivity make dollars and cents which is why it's so gross to do so it's hard to do it within corporate I don't Mm -hmm. know like you know I'm from outside of it because I know that you honestly 
even from outside of it, I'm in a position where I'm marketing my human rights, like my need for human rights. That's yes. what I end up doing. But you kind of have to, right? You in have this, to. Like- and, <laughs> and so it can be gross yeah. to do when you're younger, though. You can just be like, oh, like yeah. I don't want to... <laughs> Because it's it becomes politics. It becomes if people mm. feel okay while you're saying, "Hey, this isn't okay." Um, yeah, that's a larger conversation. But I mean, I don't know that I like in this moment have advice for young people. Like, I really am inspired by young people. And I think they can probably give me advice. (laughs) I'm going to be real. Like, I don't think it's about me giving younger people advice. Like, you already know. You know. And and maybe the advice is just that, like, if you feel like you matter, that's going to change so much for you. Just, just, you don't need a whole bunch of advice from older, more exhausted, more irritated people to be valuable. Mm-hmm. You just walking through space in a cool outfit is an impactful. You getting together with your friends and deciding that you want to take up space and show up where people like you have not been allowed before, mm-hmm. whether it's because of your age or because of your queerness, like all of those things are revolutionary. All revolutions mm-hmm. have been people coming together because they're so irritated and like taking up space. And you don't have to, there's no particular way you can do it. Sometimes being really angry will inspire you to do something mm-hmm. that's really impactful. You, sure. you know, you don't have to wait till you calm down all the time. Yeah. You should. Hopefully you don't catch a case because, you know, we believe that like abolition is the goal and nobody should be going to jail for doing, you know, kindness based activism and human rights work. Be kind to each other while you're doing it. Don't perpetuate the same harm. Yeah, that's important. But know that you matter. And if there's anywhere that you feel that you don't matter, like I was this way when I was younger, so I'm still kind of this way, even though now I'm like almost 40. But if somebody older than you is telling you that you are not good enough or you have to do this, this, and this, and this before you matter, like, that's not true. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. we, we also, like, love our elders, but you know when you have bitter elders sometimes like you have people in your life that that compete with you whether they're in your job or your family and they're jealous of your youth (laughs) and you're there just waiting for them to like approve you and love you like love love you and find other people don't be afraid to say like no if and, and create your own scene or just do it by yourself sometimes you'll be in an activist community and it's mad toxic yeah. And just step away and do your own thing and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I also do like believe in that like every human has such valuable experiences based on the life that you've lived and sometimes people are like, Oh, you know, like tell us what's new because you're young and I'm like, No. A lot of the times people's opinions and it comes from their experiences that has nothing to do with their age like yeah it's just everyone is unique and 
Yeah. Yeah. Youth is just an interesting concept. And I mean, mm-hmm. we're still thinking about youth within the lens of white supremacy. Mm. You know, we're right. still thinking about value and human value within the lens of my white supremacy. Yeah. And I value intergenerational relationship knowledge building spaces. Mm-hmm. So it's like where we're caring for each other, considering each other and sharing knowledge between the different generations. Yeah. Not that somebody would just sit in service to listen from only one generation mm-hmm. because depending on the life experiences and everybody's response to them, you know, we don't all end up old and wise. We <laughs> can end up old and like sev- with severe like mental health issues yeah. and like anger that's problems. So like that's also true. Yeah. And and, and so let's just, well, I'm also sitting here, you know, at 40, like in a crop top, like, <laughs> and dressed like, you know, like, I don't care. Obviously, I'm not the one who's worried about what people think about me. But that comes from a lot of standing up to both younger people and older people, mm-hmm. standing up to white people. Like, I've told a lot of people that I don't care what they think. And yeah. then... And then I have this, this ability to sort of embody and reflect that in my work. Yeah. But that's hard because there's a lot of pain behind that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can be a little bit harder and tougher. And that's why I like to be inspired by younger people because, you know, they're a little closer to that joy. I think joy and activism and love and kindness is yeah. I think the future yeah and yeah. it's a balance and anger is in there too and it inspires yeah. a lot because we you know anger is where we're like that was a boundary that was crossed that yes. wasn't okay how could you say that to me and we don't shouldn't feel badly about standing up for ourselves and that we mm-hmm. just need to sort of emotionally and inv- Evolve to how to best share that boundary with the person yes. who hurt us who may not even know. Yeah. They may not have any idea that they crossed a boundary. Yeah. And so just remembering that not to perpetuate the same harm. That's mm-hmm. the growth. So sharing with the other person or with our job or with our community, this is a boundary I don't want you to cross it now that you know that I've said that when you do like you're in full awareness that you're crossing it. Now, now it's going to be intentional or not. But if you didn't know, now, you know, yeah, I don't want to cause you harm while I'm telling you this, but me telling you is not harmful. It's really healing for all of us to share the boundaries. So yeah, I don't know. Can we do that? Is it also <laughs> our responsibility to do that over and over again? Is it, you know, white people or cis people or straight mm-hmm. people? Is it like their responsibility to self-reflect as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think like that's why I do systems work. I'm like, you need to be checking up on yourself. Yeah. Reflection and critical thinking is... Yeah. It's very important, but not not everyone does it regularly. <laughs> yeah, but then the burden yeah. is on everybody impacted, which isn't cool. So yeah, exactly. that's, I think, what older people need to be doing. 
they need to be in a space of practicing accountability in the organizations they're in so mm. that younger people have room to grow yes. and feel loved. So true, yeah. So yes, younger people, just don't be afraid to hold your elders accountable. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hope that's okay. But Best don't. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like you know, you're being handed this world and you deserve it served with respect. Like, come on now. Yeah. Everything that <laughs> just like resonates so much. But yeah, um, lastly, where, if our listeners is interested in checking out your work or you, like where can they find you on the internet or any? Yeah, you can find me on the internet and I dream library at, um, idreamlibrary.com mm -hmm. so that is our installation online a public space where you can find organized book lists and resources for kindergarten to grade 12 so kid lit middle grade and YA young adults selections and teachers and parents and students can all use those to share with their school community to be able to have better representation there's video on there um, it's a literary site with very few words which is fun um, it's it's there to support people who are you know working through feeling isolated in that literary space mm -hmm. and there's a lot of interviews and cool things on there to be able to connect with not only the stories, but the storytellers, why those stories were created yeah. um, and build relationship with stories in, in a different way. Um, and then on Instagram at I dream underscore library, you can find us there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I think it's I Dream Library one, but I'm not really on Twitter like that. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I got locked out of my page. I have to find my way back in. Um, but yeah, I have a Twitter, but I'm scared of Twitter. I'm afraid. I just <laughs> it makes me nervous. I like I like pictures and videos better. Yeah. So that's my vibe. Um, but if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can. I just don't know if I'll get you in the messages. <laughs> Email us at connect at idreamlibrary.com if you ever want like one-on-one yes. -on -one support or you want to yeah. support or like donate to our work. Mm. We're a social venture organization and supported through mutual aid. So abolition, mutual aid, equitable mm. education, those are really important ways to reconsider um, the current like financial, economic, and class culture that we have right mm -hmm. now. So love the nonprofits um, to partner with them, but we want to think about a new way forward yeah, that for supports sure. the work that we do in an autonomous way. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much again. Thank you for having for me. For doing this. I hope... I hope everyone's enjoyed this. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. It was so mad thank fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Okay. I had bye. a great time. Bye. bye.